Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Emma, thanks uh, very much. Do keep that uh, Bible passage open, and in fact, you might like to turn back to chapter 8, which is where we're going to start, right through this service then, and uh, as you've been hearing right through this week, we've been laying out our plans to redevelop our buildings. Um, As far as we can tell, looking at our own hearts, we recognise that we are not perfect. We know our sinfulness. As far as we can tell, uh, we reckon our motivation for all of this has been to bring glory to God through more and more people becoming followers of the Lord Jesus, through planting churches and training leaders and growing forward. It has been thrilling this week to see how the church family uh, has felt a real excitement, not about buildings, uh, but about what this could lead to in terms of people becoming Christians. And as Tim has just said, now it all comes down to our financial response. So how should we respond financially? Uh, Through the last couple of weeks, uh, my colleague... Pete Scammon has been helpfully taking us through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And uh, indeed, if you've not been here, let me uh, commend those uh, sermons to you. Um, He has done a lot of hard work. I've been massively helped, and it's making my job much easier today as I'm going to scoot through those chapters. Uh, He's done all the really hard exposition. Um, So I'd encourage you to uh, have a look at those sermons or listen to them again. Uh, And we've been doing it to help us to think about money and our response to money and giving. Now look, the the issue Paul is writing to here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is quite different to the one that we're thinking about today. Paul was writing to encourage the Corinthians uh, to give to needy Christians in Jerusalem. It was a kind of international aid to poor Christians. So the specific issue that Paul wrote about was very different to the issue of a rebuilding project. But the principles laid out here are transferable whenever we think about money and giving. And so this evening, let's apply the principles of these chapters to help us to consider our financial response to building for the future. And here's the first big principle. These things will come up on the screen if you want to take notes. When giving, look at other Christians who give. This is verses 1 to 5 of chapter 8. I find this principle extremely helpful in every aspect of the Christian life. I can be told how to live. I can be told how I should live. But sometimes seeing it in others helps me see what it looks like. And then I go, oh, yeah, I could do that. I think back to when I worked with a man who always seemed to put others first. He opened up his home to people in trouble at considerable cost to himself. He met up with Christians at times that suited them, even though it was really inconvenient for him. He did so many things like that, which helped me understand what it meant to put the needs of others before my own. When Caroline and I joined the staff of a church in Essex, uh, they were such a loving church family 
They loved Caroline and I. And so for the first time, I understood what church family meant. I'd read about church family in the Bible many times, but seeing it lived out taught me how to live it. Now, that is true of all aspects of the Christian life and not least of all in giving. And that's what's happening in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, look at the Christians in Macedonia as examples of generous, grace-filled givers. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You see there, Paul holds up the Christians in Macedonia precisely because they were poor, really poor. Verse 2, they suffered extreme poverty. For them, verse 2, life was a severe trial. Life was tough. And yet their lives were marked by a generosity that flowed from the knowing the grace of God in their own lives. Some years back, a friend of mine went to, uh, uh, with a mission organisation to Ghana in, in Africa. Uh, he visited some Christians in a, in a remote tribe and, and one family insisted that he stay and eat with them. They were extremely poor, but they wanted to treat my friend to the most generous hospitality that they could give him. And so they killed their chicken, the only chicken they had, the chicken they relied upon for eggs each day. When he came back, he told me, I saw that day what generous giving looked like. Generosity overflowing from God's grace. They didn't have much, but they knew how much God loved them and they wanted to give whatever they had. The Macedonian Christians were so generous despite their poverty because they had been overwhelmed by the grace of God. You see, verse three, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Uh, The the point is, when Christians are full of the grace of God, you don't need to twist their arm or manipulate them or adopt any clever marketing strategies for them to give. End of verse three, they gave entirely on their own. It's a brilliant thing when God so melts hearts that we just want to give because God has given us so much first. That, frankly, is what I want to happen as if we're to go ahead with building for the future. No badgering, no cajoling, no guilt-inducing. You're not going to get any of that. But a church family wanting to give, willingly giving, because God has first given to us. Look, I don't mind telling you, I think 2.5 million is a sizable financial target. But you see, it's possible when our hearts are touched by the gospel. Our architect has told us of a church that he's worked with in the Midlands. They are as much smaller church than we are. I think about 300 people on a Sunday. They live in a much less affluent part of the country than we do. And they gave to embark upon, I think, about a £2 million building project. In telling that story, our architect is using this principle. He says, look at others, in this case, others who are less well off, and see how the grace of God motivated them to give. And I love that phrase in verse three, they gave as much as they were able. Isn't that wonderful? We're not asked to give what we don't have. In this week, following our Building for the Future launch meetings, a couple of people have said to me, I can't give much. Some don't have much. I look over here. I look up there. Some find themselves in complex situations, married to unbelievers. They can't give large amounts as their spouse won't allow it. Now, if that's you, look at the Macedonians and give as much as you're able. 
I've said to a few people this week when they've talked to me about this, I said, give a pound if you have a pound. And not least of all, so that when the buildings are finished, you'll be able to say to yourself, you know what, I gave to that. I was part of that. I gave what I was able to give. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? So verse three is a great encouragement. They gave what they were able to give. It's also a great challenge because out of their poverty, the Macedonians gave as much as they could. I was moved by the story of one church that had a sizable development of their buildings and they tell stories of families who went without summer holidays so that they could give more. Others in the church family didn't buy things they needed. Things like shoes, not just, you know, a new pair of shoes they didn't need, a pair of shoes they did need because the other shoes were worn out. They didn't buy them. Now, years on, others benefit from their sacrifices. That's what's going on here, isn't it? Look at other Christians who've given. That's inspirational. A second, when giving, look at being a complete Christian. This is chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. You see, giving is good for us. As we'll see in a moment, when we give, we follow a God who is a giving God. Uh, the one true living God is so very generous, he, he can't stop giving. As Christians, we should long to be more and more like our God, the giving God. So I want to be giving. Now look, the church in Corinth was brilliant in so many areas. Paul writes in verse 7, You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. If Paul were writing to us here at Christ Church Forward, I don't know what he'd say. It's always difficult to know exactly when you're on the inside what people would say from the outside. Perhaps he'd say, you excel in a desire to know God's word and in wanting your friends to become Christians and in loving and caring for each other, in welcoming newcomers, in hospitality. Look, I don't know what he'd say. I know we're not a perfect church. But in the last 10 years since I've been here, I've experienced so many wonderful signs of God's work among us. There really is so much to rejoice in. This church does excel in many things. And I say it because God should be praised because that's the mark of his work in us. That's what Paul was saying about the Corinthians in the first half of verse seven. But then he says, end of verse seven, you excel in all these things, so see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And verse six, he wants them to be complete in the grace of giving. It's great to excel in Bible knowledge and evangelism and hospitality, but don't just excel in those things, excel in giving as well. Be a complete Christian, do you see? Most of you will know that I love playing tennis. I don't need to tell you that I'm not the complete tennis player. If I were, I'd be at the Australian Open right now, not here. But for the level I play at, my forehand is okay, my volleying is reasonable, my serve goes over most of the time, my backhand... My backhand is really shaky. And so if I want to be the complete tennis player, I need to work on my backhand. The rest of the game has its strengths, but the backhand really lets me down terribly. It's not a great illustration. It was the best I could come up with, but that is something of what Paul is saying about Christians in Corinth. In many areas of life, they're more than okay. They excel. But now the opportunity to give to poor Christians in Jerusalem gives them the opportunity to excel in giving as well, to kind of practice the backhand that isn't going so well, to become more rounded, more complete Christians in their giving. A building project where we need to raise 2.5 million pounds is a chance for us to excel in this grace of giving too to become more complete as a church family. 
You see, the point is, sometimes a chance to give is, much, is as much about what it does for us as what it does for the cause we're giving to. Money is very powerful. Money can have a kind of vice-like grip on our hearts. There's nothing evil about money in and of itself, but our attitude to money can be very unhelpful. You see, when I look to money for security to bring me or to bring me pleasure, that is very unhelpful because I am then making money my God. I'm asking money to do what only God can do. He is the only one who can give me security. He is the only one who will really give me pleasure. If I look to money to do that, I'm looking to something, something else other than God to do what only God can do. So when I do that, God says, you know, the best way to free yourself from that love from that dependence is to give it away excelling in the grace of giving is liberating it's good for us so in giving firstly look to others other christians who give secondly look at being a complete christian third look at jesus christ as our supreme example and this is verses eight and nine Look at verse 8. I'm not commanding you, says Paul. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Ah, here's the greatest motivation for any Christian to give. It comes from the example of Jesus Christ himself These are quite magnificent words. If you don't remember anything else, will you remember verse 8? Jesus was rich. He was rich beyond compare. He was rich as he enjoyed eternity in the splendor of heaven. Just think of the new creation as it's described in the Bible. Streets paved with gold. The most precious stones abundantly adorning walls and gates. In heaven, if I can put it this way, it's a bit crude, but Jesus wasn't short of a bob or two. And he was rich in every other way too. He was perfectly content and full of delightful joy all the time in his relationship with the Father and the Son. He wasn't kind of lonely. Why would anyone want to leave a place where they are at perfect peace and ecstatically happy, ecstatically deeply joyful in every way all the time? Why would Jesus leave the riches of heaven to come into a world where he didn't have two pennies to rub together, where he had nowhere to lay his head, where he was misunderstood and ignored, where he was hunted down like an animal, treated like a criminal, beaten up, flogged and crucified? Why would he come to this place? In our terms, why would someone living in opulent luxury in one of the most desirable places on this planet decide to go and live the rest of their lives in a third world slum, scavenging on a garbage dump, never again in this life feeling the satisfaction of a full belly and all the time knowing that people on the slum are out to kill you? Why would Jesus do that? Verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. That's why Jesus did it. He became poor for your sake and mine. He became poor that we might become rich, not financially rich, but spiritually rich. 
His death on the cross brings us riches beyond compare, giving us forgiveness and a fresh start and eternity with God. Eternity beyond the grave in the most splendid new creation that really is paradise in every way. He became rich. He was rich and became poor that we might become rich in that way. That's what our building for the future project is about. It's not about building great buildings but about maximising the ministry of this church so that more and more and more people come to know the true and living God who loves them so much that he became poor that they might become rich. It is about making other people rich. Do you see how this works? Jesus gave up his riches to make us rich. So the point is we're to give up our riches that others may become spiritually rich. We look at Jesus Christ and we have all the inspiration and motivation we need to give. And that's why, verse 8, Paul doesn't command people to give. He doesn't give a command because he doesn't need to. Because he says Christian giving flows from the grace of God. It should come out of an overflow of the heart. Not a command, not a rule. And that is why, in the New Testament, no percentages are given as guidelines. Because when you think about it, percentages as a rule are just not adequate. Imagine Gary. Gary giving £100,000 a year. How generous is that? And then imagine Sarah giving £10 a week. Who's most generous? Sarah lives in a hostel and has £40 a week to buy food. And she's giving £10 of it away every week. She gives it happily because she knows the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. Gary's a premiership footballer. He earns £200,000 a week. More than £10 million a year. So for Gary, it's great that he gives £100,000 a year to charity, but it's not a lot of money when you earn £200,000 a week. And even if he gave £100,000 a week away, that isn't a lot of money. If you've still got £100,000 a week left over, I wouldn't mind having that. So you see, even to talk about percentages is meaningless because Sarah gives 25% away, yet it is more costly to her than Gary, even if he gave 50% away. You see the point? That's why Paul doesn't give us a command, but he says, look at verse 9, look at Jesus. Don't think of percentages and rules. Look at Jesus and be overwhelmed by grace and give in the way that God has touched your heart. Look to other Christians who give. Look at being a complete Christian. Look at Jesus Christ as our supreme example. And finally in giving, look what happens when you give. This is chapter nine. Two things to note. First, under this heading, look what happens when you give. First, giving is a way of multiplying. This is chapter nine and verse six. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is so wonderfully typical of our God. He turns everything upside down, or rather, he turns everything the right way up. The world teaches us to save up and keep things for ourselves, to save for a rainy day, to make sure we put money aside for our pension. By the way, I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. I'm just saying that's, what, that's the message we get. Certainly if we're up against it financially, our financial advisor will tell us to 
tighten our purse strings. In hard times, don't take anything out of your savings. You can be absolutely sure if you went to see the bank manager when things weren't going so well, he wouldn't say, oh, you've only got a little bit left, give it all away. That's because the world doesn't understand the spiritual laws that are running right through the fabric of this world. I have a little vegetable patch. I like to grow lettuce and tomatoes and leeks and onions and spinach and that sort of stuff. Tim has a much bigger vegetable patch. But I'll let him tell you about that sometime. I'm not a great gardener, but I don't have to be to know the simple truth of verse 6. If I put only a few seeds in the ground in the spring... Come harvest time, I won't get very much back. But if I sow generously, I get much more in return. That's a spiritual law, if I may call it that. It's not save your money for a rainy day. It's sow generously so that when the rainy day comes, all the rain will help the seeds to germinate. And what is true of my vegetable patch is true of giving money. Very simply, you see, there is a spiritual law that says if you are a sower, God will give you more seed to sow with. If you are actively involved in giving, God will multiply your resources so that you can give more. Allow me to be autobiographical for a moment. Now, I'm nervous of doing this because I know that I have a lot to learn in the grace of giving. I am very aware of my failings. So please, I am not setting myself up as a great example. But I simply want to testify to how I found this spiritual law true in my own life. When I first became a Christian, I gave the loose change and put it in the collection plate. Then I felt God challenging me, I still remember it as clear as day, that I ought to start giving more planned way. And I started to give five pound a week. Doesn't sound much now. This was quite a while ago. It was a little bit more then. Probably wasn't that much then. But it really stretched me to give 20 pound a month. But I started to do it. And in time I found I could afford it. And I actually had some more money to give away. And that has been my experience ever since. Caroline and I review our giving each year. And each year I think it'll be hard to give a bit more. But when we do... By halfway through the year, we don't really miss the money that we've given away. And by the end of the year, we can increase our giving yet further. And I think, how does that work? That's the spiritual law here in verse 6. And so, verse 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, it is God loves an hilarious giver. When people make a lot of money, we talk about people laughing all the way to the bank as they take their money that they've now got and they deposit it in their savings account. God wants hilarious givers. He wants people who are laughing all the way to the bank as they go to the bank to withdraw their money to give it away. And we can do that as we realise that as we give, God makes the seed of our giving grow. The second under this last heading If the first is giving is a way of multiplying ministry, the second is giving is a way of glorifying God. This chapter, indeed, these two chapters end by showing us that when we give generously and cheerfully, it results in glory and praise to God. Paul says that as the Corinthians give to help the church in Jerusalem, so look at chapter 9 and verse 12, uh, the section that Emma read for us, verse 12. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see, giving results in God being thanked and praised. Verse 13, because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Do you see there in verse 13, God is praised in two ways when we give. First, when people give generously, God is praised because of the work he's done in people's lives to enable them to give. People look on and they go, wow, look at the way they're giving. You can imagine it happening here. Others hearing about our Building for the Future initiative, hearing that we need to raise £2.5 million. And when the money comes in, saying, where did they get all the money from? And the answer, the church family gave. And God will be glorified because people will say, my goodness me, God has really worked in that church family's life. And I know that's what happens because when I hear about churches doing that sort of thing, I praise God for the way that that money has come in. Praise God for the work he has done in people. That's the first way God is praised. The second way God is praised is because of the results of the giving. In this case, when people's physical needs were alleviated, end of verse 13, they thanked and praised God. Thank you, Lord, for providing this money for us. In the case of a building project, I imagine people thanking and praising God as they come to know Jesus Christ because of the ministry that this building work enables, the sort of thing we've been talking about. Just imagine people praising God because we're able to grow an even stronger ministry here so that we can plant more churches here in Sheffield and South Yorkshire, where more and more people are within striking distance of a vibrant, loving church family where the Bible is faithfully taught. Imagine us being able to train more and more leaders to go from here, not only to plant churches here, but to lead churches all over the country and abroad, all over the world, as we send mission partners out from here. Imagine us being able to reach out more effectively into forward so that more and more people come into a real and living relationship with Jesus Christ. Imagine that happening and much more. If it happens, it will glorify God. They will praise him. And that is really what building for the future is all about. Let's pray. We thank you, our Lord and God, that in your great kindness you speak to us about every aspect of life and not least of all money and giving. And we thank you that you're not a God who just sort of looks down from a distance and says, this is what you should do. You're the God who's gone before us, who's lived in the way that we ought to live, who's demonstrated it for us, who, although Jesus Christ was rich, he became poor, extreme poverty, to bring us riches. And so as we look at him, And as we think about the way the gospel has touched our lives, we pray you'd help us to make an appropriate response. Cheerfully, willingly, happy, hilarious givers. So that you will be praised and glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.